0: Welcome to the Replay Value Podcast, where we deep dive into the movies we all love to watch over and over again. I'm Phil, joined by my brother from the same mother, our co-host on the West Coast, Warren.
1: What's up, bro? In this episode, we're going to talk about the iconic romantic comedy, Gary Marshall's Pretty Woman.
2: Pretty Woman, walking down the street, Pretty Woman, the kind I like to meet, Pretty Woman.
1: Now, the plot of this film, a businessman randomly meets a rookie prostitute who he ends up hiring as an escort for social events, only to end up falling deeply in love with her.
0: When we talked about doing this movie, Warren, Pretty Woman, despite being a romantic comedy, it is a movie with uh, a very high replay value, uh, a a favorite since I've seen it. And yes, that may go against type, but I I love this movie is just a great film with great acting in it.
1: Yeah, I absolutely love this film because it transcends the genre uh, that it's in. Yes. And when movies yes. do that, it doesn't matter if you're a fan of them or not. If you love great movies, you, you end up loving th- that particular film. And I think that's the case with Pretty Woman. Not in our ballpark, but it's so great, we love it anyways.
0: Yeah, m- my main issue is, th- is the cliche of normal rom-coms because they're less than, than stellar. This movie broke the mold. It created the mold, I guess I should say. So let's actually talk about that with the, the how it – began as a a script and uh that process that it went through it was a screenplay was written by jf lawton and jf lawton whenever he worked on this script he was very much um kind of like the last movie we did groundhog day the screenwriter was he was very much down on his luck had Mm -hmm. trouble getting work and he felt he needed to turn to a more serious side of writing and he Cut the first draft of Pretty Woman to be a kind of a dark and gritty tale.
1: Yeah, the uh, first uh, draft focused on uh, more specifically on prostitution in Los Angeles in the 1980s, like Groundhog Day, a much darker movie in, in the uh, in the initial drafts.
0: Of course, it goes to the studio system; it changes, but this one took a little bit different of a path. So, uh, the movie itself was when it was. I guess got interest by a studio it was called 3000 that was <laughs> the name uh, oh, it doesn't sound like a you know the, the type of movie that it is or even back then um J F Lawton the, the screenwriter he was inspired by the late 80s movies Wall Street and the last detail as far as like let's take this this industry or this um, this side of life and show the dark side of it um he is for his first foray into this kind of darker view on world world matters is he wrote a script called Red Sneakers about a one-legged lesbian stand-up comic that was what really got his, his got studios to pay attention to him and how he was able to get noticed for 3,000 and get interest from the studio so through things being sold and it getting passed around, believe it or not Disney actually ended up getting the rights. To this, to this script, and they well, wanted a dark movie.
1: Yeah, it, because it wasn't Disney. It, well, it was, but it was their. Uh, it was an arm of Disney, Touchstone Pictures, which was a film division created by Disney to focus on adult-themed films and R-rated properties that their Disney brand couldn't release. And so that's probably what attracted them to, because they were looking for darker material. Uh, yeah,
0: it, I, now when I said Disney, I didn't mean like, yeah, you're going to see the Magic Kingdom
1: pop oh, up like yeah. you're
0: watching the Lion King. I, no, but, but just
1: go, but, dude, but Disney's hands are everywhere. It just goes to show yeah. you another example. Like, you don't think it's a Disney film, but they've got their, uh, you know, they're pulling the strings uh, from up top. I mean, I even told you as an actor, I've gotten residuals that say Disney, and I've never even done a Disney picture before. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck?
0: So that's on everything. But to go back, Disney wanted the the darker script. That's what intrigued yeah. them. And so this it was unlike Groundhog Day, where they wanted to change it from the get go. The studio wanted to keep that darker edge, that grittier story intact. Uh, and then they also liked it because it was able; it would enable them to keep Gary Marshall uh, uh, within their their umbrella, within their roof, and to get him working on a new project.
1: Well, that's what attracted him to it. Was it was a dark material, but. Uh, Ultimately, the, the uh, power uh, figures uh, uh, in control of the film, that being producer Laura Ziskin, uh, who's produced a lot of films, legendary producer, uh, she felt a lot of the darker elements hurt uh, the Vivian character as a lead that the audience is supposed to identify and, uh, and care about. Uh, and so a lot of the, you know, like her being a drug addict and, and being a more experienced prostitute, so a lot of those uh, characteristics were uh, passed to Kit and taken away from Vivian. That's why in the film, she's really never been a prostitute before. You don't really see her doing drugs. Uh, She's a little bit more um, of a lead character, a little bit more identifiable and likable.
0: Yeah, the the, the script was kept intact in some ways, like the the, the same characters uh, were there. Some of even the same scenes were there, but there was that shift in tone and character presentation that, that, that give it a... That Ziskin and Gary Marshall in the studio, uh, w- that direction that they wanted to go in. Um, the only, the, I would say, the biggest difference though was the ending. They completely changed the ending, which of course did change the whole movie in, in, in a sense. Because I mean, the ending is what you, you're building up towards, uh, especially you know, will they or won't they in, in, in that sense. But uh, originally, the ending in the the first script was going to have Kit and Vivian going to Disney. Uh, oddly enough, that that was in the script before Disney actually purchased the rights to the script. Uh, and you have Kit being excited to go, whereas Vivian was very much just kind of staring blankly. It was a very downer ending, and that's the big thing that had to go.
1: Yeah, Edward throws her out of the fucking car. I mean, like, it's a pretty dark... Uh, it, and it's almost like 1950s, the way that Edward treats her, like very... Um, uh, misogynistic and chauvinistic and, and just not uh, uh, not the ideal uh, you know um, romantic lead that Richard Gears Edward Lewis turns out to be but along with uh, producer Laura Ziskin studio head Jeffrey Katzenberg uh, talking about the ending, that is where he demanded the film to be repurposed as a modern-day fairy tale and love story, and that's where you see it in the ending, as opposed to the original ending where it was darker. They're on their way to Vegas, and she just got abandoned by Edward and thrown out of the car and treated like a, a piece of shit, uh, basically, and not feeling too good about herself. And it, as you said, a pretty dark ending to the film. This, what we see in uh, Pretty Woman, uh, and it's a it's a fairy tale ending. That, that's what we get.
0: So, because of the direction from katzenberg gary marshall he he had a lot of experience screenwriting, and he took his he took a hand uh, after Lawton's original screenplay, and he wanted to do that fairy tale, but with a twist so if you go back and watch the movie, you can kind of see the roles that he had in mind, like Vivian is Rapunzel, which is pretty obvious mm-hmm. uh Lewis Prince Charming, but one that I didn't really pick up on, but it makes sense is. Barney Thompson, the hotel manager, as the fairy godmother. And he very much does step into their fairy godfather, I guess you could say. But he very very much does step into that role, and it kind of clicks when you see that. It's like, oh, of of course it is. And they get pretty heavy-handed with it near the end in her giving the example. but
1: Yeah, that's a great point, because originally his character were suspicious of him because everyone else has mistreated Vivian to this point. uh, But we see that he ends up having very good intentions and, and helps her.
0: Uh, so in the end, though, Lawton, uh, he was kind of excised from the script. It was handed off uh, the, to, to to Marshall and a bunch of other screenwriters, uh, took a crack at it, it, passed through them. But if you look, J.F. Lawton is the only credited screenwriter, and he has gone on record saying he's happy that it got passed on, that it changed, and it turned into a big budget Uh, Hollywood feature
1: yeah in order for writers to get credits uh, on a script they have to change a certain percentage and and that goes to show you probably most of what he wrote stayed intact that's why they couldn't credit any other writers or maybe they did that out of respect who really knows the backroom dealings the studio or or the filmmakers had with uh with the writer but uh talking about the filmmakers have to talk about the late great Gary Marshall uh the director of this film his sixth feature film Uh, Before this, he'd done a lot of TV, uh, iconic television, Mork and Mindy, Laverne and Shirley, Happy Days, Odd Couple, Um, and uh, and, and a couple of features, Flamingo Kid and Nothing in Common. Uh, I don't know if you saw that, Tom Hanks and Jackie Gleason uh, there in the late 80s. No, Uh, I
0: didn't. Wow.
1: (laughs) But I happened to stumble upon a clip of Gary Marshall talking about Pretty Woman, and he was asked uh, whether he was surprised if... Pretty Woman ended up being such a big hit.
2: We were surprised until we saw uh, The Dailies, and uh, it was obvious that, uh, that nobody knew who Julia Roberts was particularly. She did Mystic Pizza, etc. But uh, we saw her daily, she really lit it up. That smile, that whole thing. And uh, she was quite good. And uh, you couldn't tell in person. It was kind of a slumpy kid and hunger <laughs> But once she got there, we let her, I once made, she, she, she took it as a joke. I said, you know, if we could put a Nike swish on your tooth, when you smile, we could make a forge.
1: And uh, after this... Gary Marshall, I mean, one of uh, Hollywood's uh, treasured uh, film directors of his generation. Uh, After this, Frankie and Johnny exit to Eden, Runaway Bride, which, as we've talked about, is kind of the uh, unofficial sequel uh, to this movie, like uh, as where it's uh, uh, Pretty Woman is Goodfellas, uh, Runaway Bride is Casino.
0: Oh, yeah, true. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah.
1: Also directed Princess Diaries. And then most recently, uh, he was making all those uh, holiday movies, if you remember, uh, New Year's Eve, uh, Valentine's Day, and Mother's Day, which was his last film in 2016. Uh, now, production of the movie, most of the budget, uh, and I'll let you talk about the, the numbers on that, but most of its budget went to filming on location in Los Angeles and Beverly Hills specifically. Uh, and they also shot Insights Down Stages at Walt Disney Studios in Burbank, And from all accounts, a very smooth production Uh, from what you read, everything, uh, they stayed on schedule under budget. In fact, they didn't have a limit on their budget. They were able, Gary Marshall had a a blank check and that's why they were able to shoot on location at all the places that they did. I
0: was going to say, I was surprised by that. I was watching through the the credits of the film and near the end, it it says, you know, shot on location and los angeles and on sound stages you know i was like how did they afford to shoot on location in la uh and maybe because it was 30 years ago i, I don't know it's a little easier but most of the time you, you see another city representing la or
1: uh, you know it's and that's more recently i mean in the 80s and 90s i mean 90 percent of movies were shot in los angeles
0: that's that's true you're right yeah, yeah.
1: As we know, a smooth shoot, but Roberts uh, notate this, and this was the only production story I could really find, uh, is that Roberts became so nervous shooting the love scene uh, that a vein started bulging out of her forehead. They had to like massage to relax her and have it settle back down and she also uh, broke out in hives. So they had to uh, give her some special lotion to help like settle that down and actually uh, put production on hold until she could recover.
0: I would imagine that that being her first big film like that, trying to carry it, it would be pretty nerve wracking.
1: Dude, it's nerve wracking acting in a scene with your (laughs) clothes on opposite an actor. Anyways, it can be doing a a nude scene or a love scene where you're partially clothed or naked. I mean, that's uh, I don't care who you are. If you say part of you isn't nervous or a little terrified, you're full of shit, man.
0: That's fair. Yeah. I mean, that's something that even experience would have a tough time uh, helping out with. All right, I do want to before we move on from the production uh, talk about the music of the film. There is there is a score done by James Newton Howard, but it's I hate to say it in such a way, but it's more background music. What people connect with in the film is the the soundtrack by the artists uh, that contributed to it. I uh, got to start with uh, one of my favorite songs in the film, uh, Fame by David Bowie. Uh, I mean that is that that song holds up to this day. It is great. I mean, Bowie,
1: of course it does. Well, Bowie's song doesn't yeah. hold up.
0: There, there's a few, but that one is not one of them.
1: <laughs> uh, it's fucking classic, man.
0: Uh, and then well, I would say the most successful song at the time that was on the soundtrack, It Must Have Been Love by Roxette. Uh, so that, that I believe at one point, got to number two on the Billboard charts. So it, it, mm-hmm. it, it was very, very popular. I was surprised yeah. to see that Red Hot Chili Peppers had a song on there Show Me Your Soul which I had forgotten about uh, that that song was Did in. they
1: play that when we saw them live?
0: I, would, I don't think so this must have been Probably way not. way way before then uh, then uh, you have to mention the Roy Orbison classic wow. that the title of the film got its name from uh, Oh Pretty Woman uh, the, 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 you can't hear that song without thinking of the movie and vice versa they, they go hand in hand with each other now uh, and then a couple mm. a couple honorable mentions, not really f- songs on the soundtrack, but ones that I loved. Uh, you have a, 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 a version by Vivian Ward of uh, Prince uh, Prince's Kiss, great song. Uh, and then in the uh, in the scene in the hotel, the the restaurant, uh, it's like three a.m. when Richard Gear Richard Gere's character uh, Edward Lewis is playing the piano. That uh, song that he performed was actually. Uh, he He performed it himself, but he also composed the song uh, as well uh, very very talented and I was very surprised to read that
1: one of uh I didn't realize the soundtrack had so many de- decorated um artists that were involved in in producing it. holy shit
0: yeah, and that was just a few it's a it's a really really good soundtrack
1: and we'll move on to the stars of the picture
2: all right mr Demille i'm ready for my close up
1: Richard Gere and Julia Roberts two bonafide movie stars uh with amazing on-screen chemistry uh put on display in this film.
0: That was I mean the chemistry is part of the reason uh, a big part of the reason that the ending was changed. It's like they were so good together on screen that you can't have it in badly. The audience doesn't want to see that. Uh and it uh, it almost did not come to be that way because the casting process is was long and grueling, and they went through a lot of people to find the two that, that fit well mm. together.
1: So no doubt, I'm sure when we get to it, a lot of casting what-ifs. They're
0: probably the most we've ever had in an episode, yeah.
1: No shit. Okay. Uh, top of the call sheet, uh, believe it or not, was Richard Gere as Edward Lewis. This was his—he'd done 15 movies before this, so he had the most cachet as an actor. Uh uh, we all know Julia Roberts is the biggest benefactor of this movie, but at the time, Richard Gere was the biggest star. He actually refused the role at first. Julia Roberts had, well, it's said, begged him. I mean, she convinced him, I'm sure, to to do it, and he uh, ended up agreeing. Obviously,
0: <laughs> it it was probably a lot to do with how they read on on screen together, uh, the, the testing, and I would say someone at the time with his his caliber and and her talent. they would have recognized the chemistry that they had with an on-screen partner. And they, I think, I feel like that had an impact for their own decision-making, especially if Richard Gere was on the fence about it. He's like, yes, there's something special here with Julia Roberts, uh, her character,
1: Yeah. And
0: and he wanted to be a part of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, and, and he probably helped get it made. I mean, keep in mind at this point, he'd already done American gigolo, which that was his breakout, much like this is Julia Roberts. Uh, that and he was a hooker in that, coincidentally, uh, and officer and a gentleman. Uh, what he probably his most known film at this point before Pretty Woman. So uh, he had some box office uh, uh, clout, and uh, you know, signing him on a picture is going to help get it made. Uh, after this, Richard Gere would go on to do Best Picture winner Chicago, Unfaithful, another uh, awards favorite, and uh, Doctor T and the Women, which nice. I love that movie. That's a little indie. Um, yeah, it's got it's, it's good. In yeah. it and Kate Hudson, I really like it. And uh, also, uh, Runaway Bride, which, uh, as we've established, uh, the uh, unofficial sequel to uh, Pretty Woman.
0: Didn't that movie also have Hector Elizondo in it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: And nice. Gary Marshall directed it. And Julia Roberts was in. It. I mean, it was that's it was crazy. Literally like, it, you, like you know, you had Scorsese, De Niro, Pesci, and Casino, and good yeah. it's the same kind of thing. That's, it's it, where the wow. cast and the crew. It's probably a lot of the same crew, I imagine, as well. Yeah. Got to talk about, of course, Julia Roberts as Vivian Ward, uh, Oscar winner uh, in three nominations. Uh, her second nomination being for the performance in this movie, Best Lead Actress. She was nominated before this for her work in Steel Magnolias, mm-hmm. which if you, we have to talk about. You and I living in Louisiana, live next door to the family. Uh, the Robinsons that the steel Magnolias was based on their uncle was a Hollywood producer and he ended up uh, making steel Magnolias based on uh Robert Robinson our best friend one of our best friends his children in our childhood uh his mother passing away thats movie was based on uh, on their on their story
0: yeah which we as as kids living there I mean we were what you know ten eleven years old at the time we didn't know we didn't care we just we just wanted to play with our our next door neighbor so it was kind of kind of funny but yeah that
1: uh, you yeah, we just thought he yeah we just thought he was a cool kid i went to i mean we we knew that that, that that was the case but we didn't really understand it till later but you, of course you remember we saw tim curry come to our school that one day and we shit ourselves because <laughs> home alone Two it just came out we're like holy shit tim curry yeah he just looked at us and did that classic smile yeah um, oh, that man. was great um uh before this though joya roberts uh, hadn't done a lot i did find she had a, a a co-star uh on an episode of miami vice
2: so what's different? I like hoods. They're so much more up front with their
1: treachery. Hey, Sonny. Her biggest credit before this was Mystic, Mystic Pizza. Mystic Pizza, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, And, and, and Steel still still Magnolias, magnolias yeah. as, as we just established. Um, but this was what uh,
0: it, catapulted her to the A-list. This was what made her a household name.
1: This is what made her a movie star, and as we talked about earlier in the season, Top Gun made Tom Cruise a huge movie star. It launched him. Pretty Woman launched... Julia Roberts.
0: Yeah, and we and I made this same example. IMDB, you look at Tom Cruise, there's one credit next to that actor's name as far as what they're known for. His is top gun. Julia Roberts's is pretty woman. Despite mm. all the huge films that she has done, this is what she's most associated with, and this is what took her to the level that she would, you know, that she's still at to this day.
1: What's remarkable about her career is that she ended up becoming one of the biggest movie stars of her generation, if not the biggest movie star. But then she found critical acclaim uh, a little later in her career. Uh, in fact, not much later at all. In fact, after this, Erin Brockovich in 2001, she won the Best Actress Oscar. Uh, and My Best Friend's Wedding, which was in the early 90s, was probably the peak of her movie stardom mm-hmm. uh, coming out of that. She probably had the most, uh, you know, uh, 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 bankability.
0: Yeah, I, would, I mean, there was a time when, you know, just a name alone could garner a certain dollar figure in the, in the box office when a movie opened and Julia Roberts led that category. I mean, if she was in a film, it's like, all right, there's $50 million
1: domestic, 20 million, a picture. Yeah. I yeah, mean, 20 million, a movie. She was in that rare, Remember that club, the 20 million, a movie club, like uh, Tom Hanks, Julia Roberts, Denzel Washington. She was in the, a, a very rarefied uh, list of movie stars. Uh, and uh, before we move on, we already know. Julia Roberts is the MVP, hands down, not even up for debate. She is, carries the film. She's the life of the movie, and she is its beating heart.
0: You have to pick her. I mean, there's no other choice it, 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 to, to, other than to pick her as MVP. I mean, it's almost just like a phone-in selection because uh, the, she's, the, she's the only – there's no competition. She's the only competitor.
1: I mean, she's so charming, so vulnerable, and her performance is just – so dialed in. I mean, there's moments where you see kind of the fish out of water, where she's, you know, uh, being in rich environments for the first time, whether it's events or dinners, and you see how she just doesn't really know what to do. And it's charming as, all, as fuck all. I mean, you just, you just fall in love with her, watching her acquaint herself with the lives of the wealthy.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a great choice. And, and she plays both sides of it very well as far as the, okay, the... Inexperienced uh, you know, prostitute versus someone that does eventually uh, get into the the more posh lifestyle. But you can, and when you see her on both sides of it, you can you believe it, especially when you know when she gets the dresses and, and the clothes that that, that fit the the, the the status that she has when she's around uh, Edward Lewis. But it's tough to find an actress that could do both sides of that and. Yeah, she's, uh, she's a she's water
1: rare yeah. flat they say the more specific the actor, the better the actor, and the level of specificity her behavior has in each one of those circumstances is, is what makes it such a great performance. And I'd have to look at who the competition was that year. I'm sure it was pretty stout, but I'm surprised she didn't win. But at least she was nominated.
0: Yeah, uh, my biggest thing is that even though she's wearing the, – the, the acting is so good that even though she's wearing, like, nice clothes in a nice restaurant, it's just like you you never buy into it. You, she always has that fish-out-of-water element to it. So that's like you put it. That's it. It's- I.
1: Except by the end, when she's on the balcony, she's so polished. As Julia Roberts, the movie star, with that red, oh no, yeah, curly yeah, hair not, yeah, hanging down at that point. Yeah,
0: I'm talking. Yeah, I'm talking about more
1: like the. She's dinners. so refined by the end of the film. It's it's really uh, uh, remarkable to see the the, the the how much the characters change. The transition.
0: While we were chatting, I did actually look it up. Uh, the uh, the The Oscars, the 63rd Academy Awards, best actress winner that year was actually Kathy Bates in Misery. So yeah tough uh, tough competition there
1: uh, I can't go against Bates uh, so, <laughs> I mean um, uh, okay uh, all right yeah, it, 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 who were some of the other nominees
0: uh, Angelica Houston as in the Grifters uh, Meryl Streep of course uh, postcards <laughs> from the edge and Joanne Woodward in Mr and Mrs. bridge so of course yeah,
1: that's that's some um, that's that's uh, a very distinguished competition I'm not surprised she didn't win there yeah uh, as great as she was uh and we'll shift to Jason Alexander as Philip Stuckey. Uh, of course, we all know Jason Alexander as uh, George uh, from Seinfeld. Uh, that He was on that show before this movie. Seinfeld launched in 89 and ran until 98. Uh, and what I thought was a cool little Easter egg is in later seasons of Seinfeld, a VHS copy of Pretty Woman appears in Jerry's apartment. <laughs> Not to George. That's
0: cool. Wow, that's awesome.
1: Jason Alexander, I have never seen him play such a prick before i mean he is a uh he's very unlikable even george like he's 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 not the best person but he's very likable we like george uh but it's just it's different seeing him play a character that you're that you're not supposed to like
0: yeah not not just not like but by the end of the movie revile and hate uh yeah it's interesting to see him in that 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 type of role Yeah,
1: and i don't know if he's ever played another character like that um but he's got the talent. I mean, he he pulls it off.
0: Yeah, I would say it's tough though. I mean, he's so associated with George that I mean, he could. But it's just you know, part of it is you become too much of a character. The audience has to buy into it, and you know, he probably he may, maybe he didn't have any desire to do so. I mean,
1: he's the closest thing to the villain in the movie, really. If you think about it. Uh after this, uh, of course, we you know Seinfeld wrapped up in '98, but he did Coneheads in '93 and Hunchback of Notre Dame in '96, and he's directed a lot of theater plays. In fact, I saw a play here in Los Angeles at the uh, Odyssey Theater that he directed. Uh, uh, so he, he's done a lot of plays, uh, been, been doing that here the past uh, several years. Laura San Giacomo as Kit DeLuca, uh, pretty funny performance. She's not in the movie a lot, but a very talented actress. And the, you know, she's most known for "Sex Lies and Videotape," "Quickly Down Under," and the sitcom "Just Shoot Me." She's the lead. I don't know if you recognize her.
0: Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, I did. Oh yeah, of course I recognize her. I I, I know her from "Quickly Down Under," which you, you showed me when we were growing up. That's an awesome movie. Not very well known, but it's it's really good.
1: Yeah, she's great, very talented, and you know we obviously she she was able to carry movies and TV shows on her own later, uh, so that's why she's able. To, it's like a, a you know a six man or a, a designated hitter. She's oh, just yeah. in a few scenes, but she's so funny uh, in, in, in in the in the handful of scenes that she appears in.
0: Absolutely, yeah, she she's great in this for this
1: film. Uh, Hector Elizondo as Barney Thompson. Uh, he also co-stars in American Gigolo. Hmm. Richard Gere broke out, uh, and Runaway Bright. He's also in that, so it's just crazy how all these uh, the, the 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 main actors in this film, how their film, filmographies are all connected.
0: I have a couple honorable mentions: Hank Azaria as a detective early on in the film, and uh, me watching it. You know, again, I was like, "Oh yeah, Hank Azaria." He, you kind of expect him to have a bigger role, almost, just because of the name he is now. Uh, This was his first speaking role in a film, much like Groundhog Day, where we had Michael Shannon in his first speaking role. Mm. So two films back-to-back where you got to see the the early uh, seedling uh, before they became a big star.
1: Other honorable mentions, and and another film debut real quick, uh, of James Patrick Stewart as well, uh, in in addition to Hank Azaria. Uh, Larry Hankin as the landlord, a real quick scene. And if you remember, he's very memorable in Friends. He plays the neighbor. Yeah, oh yeah. And then he and he's also in uh, and I forget his name in Friends, but we all he's so memorable in Friends. All I have to say, the neighbor, and you know who he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Breaking Bad, yes, he's in a couple episodes where he and the scene where he tells Hank that he can't enter the domicile uh, or that Winnebago is fucking great. That is so good.
0: Yeah, that that he's a he's got that he's a very distinct voice and a great character actor. Yeah,
1: great delivery. Uh, and uh, I have to mention Amy Yasbeck as Elizabeth Stuckey. She I know her mostly from Wings. Uh, she also appeared in. Uh, well, she's also in Robin Hood Men in Tights, <laughs> and uh, The Mask. Lastly, Larry Miller as Mister Hollister. Yes, he plays this the uh, with the Beverly Hills shop manager where he's kissing <laughs> Richard Gere's ass. He's so good. Uh, he's mostly known from uh, Nutty Professor, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, but I, we've seen him in a bunch of stuff. He, he's he's fucking great.
0: And got to mention the what ifs. As I said earlier, it's probably the biggest s- stack of what ifs that we've had in the, a film that we've covered. Uh, so we'll do what ifs for Ed, Edward Lewis, Christopher Reeve, Daniel Day-Lewis, Kevin Kline were all in the running, but the front runners of the uh, uh, the, the first choices of Gary Marshall or burt reynolds and 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 al pacino al pacino actually went so far as to do a screen read with julia roberts before declining to 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 do the you're
1: blowing my mind right now man some of the greatest actors of all time passed on this fucking movie day lewis and pacino say no more
0: yeah and then uh for and there were more but those are the big the big ones and then for uh vivian ward uh there was some actor, you know, actresses, of course, at the time big budget film. They're going to go to the the more well known. So you had Molly Ringwald was you know a front runner. Jennifer Connelly and Winona Ryder, but they were deemed to be too young at the time. Uh, Diane Lane, who would eventually, of course, you know star with Richard Gere in uh, Unfaithful. Uh, the the lead lead two leads were Meg Ryan and Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, M- Michelle Pfeiffer though turned it oh, down. Jesus, yeah. And several others turned it down to where really at the end, it was Julia Roberts was one of the only viable options left because so many other actresses had turned it down, and, which I'm sure they, they regret at this point.
1: No doubt. Uh, wow. That's, uh, that is one of the more impressive uh, what-if casting lists. I mean, you, the, the, Gary Marshall in uh, Touchstone went for broke. Jesus.
0: All right, let's talk about the stats and accolades of Pretty Woman. Release date was March 23rd, 1990 in 1,325 theaters uh, on a budget of $14 million. It opened uh, in March with uh, the first weekend at $11.2 million. So almost made its budget back in that opening weekend. Uh, of course, it was number one. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. It was number 1 that week and it was either number 1 or number 2 at the box office its first 8 weeks. So this was uh, a you know a hit right out of the gate. Would go on to domestically pull in 178.4 million and worldwide it took in 463.4. So this was mega mega hit.
1: <sighs> yeah, big hit. Number 3 for the year uh behind Ghost and Home Alone.
0: Oh yeah, you're not going to be Home Alone. Come on.
1: Yeah, it's not going to happen. Uh, but this was and might still be the number one rom com of all time. So, for its genre, its box office performance is uh, all time status. Uh, my Big Fat Greek Wedding, depending on if you account inflation, it may or may not top ha- have toppled it. I'm not quite sure. I didn't crunch the numbers. Well, but, uh, I would say, nonetheless. On, on a,
0: on a, yeah, my Big Fat Greek Wedding did, if you look at like what was the gain, what was the net take as far as the the budget versus what it made so um yeah
1: cuz big fat greek wedding's budget wasn't even 4 it was nowhere near 14 probably oh, no. uh, it was uh, an indie true true blue indie um With a runtime of an hour and 59 minutes, uh, it's right under two hours. When you see that, you feel like this is back when studios were like, God damn it, it can't be over two hours. You better fucking cut something. You know, you feel like they they just made the filmmakers get it under two hours because having a movie over two hours back then was just so rare. Unless you were doing like, you know, dances with wolves or some shit, it it was going to be under two hours. But
0: yeah, you don't want a romantic comedy to be over two hours. No.
1: Fuck no. You want to get in and out. I mean, what the typical rom-com formula even now is right around an hour and a half maybe an hour 40 um with a rating r uh which i thought pg i was surprised i, th- I thought pretty woman was pg 13 surprised to see it was rated r uh but it's got three f words you. 18 obscenities uh zero body count uh mild violence uh very little to speak of, uh, and drugs are referenced, but there's no depiction. So the film's pretty vanilla when you consider, the, as we talked about earlier, the subject matter. No wonder the initial drafts were dark. I mean, when you talk about prostitution in Los Angeles, 1980s, if you're going to be truthful, you would think there would have been some more, um, there would have, it wouldn't have been so light in, 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 in some of that uh, material. Let me tell you,
0: if it came out today, they would have they would have cut out two of those F bombs and it would have been PG 13. This is probably the tamest R rated film
1: out there. And she wouldn't have been a hooker. She would have been a stripper.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, yeah, it, that, that would, they would have changed that for sure. A home media for Pretty Woman. It was released on VHS October 19th, 1990. So what about uh, seven months after it came out, uh, which was we've talked about typical six was for the, the time, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, DVD release was May nineteenth, nineteen ninety eight, and the Blu Ray came out February tenth, two thousand and nine. And when you look, it's nowhere. You can't stream it anywhere right now, unless you want to buy it on iTunes or Amazon. Uh, scores of the film, Cinema Score A. Holy shit. Can't believe that. Especially when you look at the credit scores, uh, Metacritic 51, Rotten Tomatoes, 62%, uh, mixed reviews from critics. Uh, some felt it wasn't necessarily love story as much as it was about money. And, uh, they, they, it it definitely had some criticism.
0: Yeah. This is one where who gives a shit what the critics say. It's the, the audience loved it. I mean, an a that's bona fide air as far as getting that as a cinema score from the audience. Uh, that's, that's, we've seen a lot of great movies not, not get to that. So this is something that audiences enjoyed and that's the purpose of film. That's why we go to the movies. So I would say in this case, who cares what the critics say
1: awards of the film, one Oscar nomination, best actress, Julia Roberts. Yeah. Three golden globes, four BAFTA nominations. Uh, Again, Julia Roberts, her performance got uh, most of the attention, most of the glory. She was nominated for both of those. Uh, And another eight wins and three nominations.
0: Uh, Music of the year for 1990, the Grammy record of the year. Another day in paradise by Phil Collins, Uh, a really great jam. And I was surprised to see that that was the record winner, uh, the record of the year winner at the Grammys. But I I love Phil Collins. Love that song. Um, And then the Billboard Hot 100, uh, the number one single for year in 1990 was Hold On by Wilson Phillips. 1990 was a, a killer year for music
1: yeah the songs in the night a lot of the music in the 90s still sounds like it's from the 80s it's like when the decade's still kind of transitioning i feel like you don't really get 90s until 92 90 and 91 still have like a lot of 80s bleeding into it
0: well not to go off on a tangent but it's like it's crazy how much music shifted between like the late 80s and 90 because then like the next year you have like pearl jam that's like the top in the charts. so you have that transition from that type of uh the pop, alternative
1: pop uh, to in Seattle, yeah.
0: Whereas nowadays, the music that comes out today sounds the, like the same shit that came out 10 years ago. Uh, so it's like there's not as much of shifts in genre, mainstream genre, uh, that there was back then.
1: Movies of 1990, number one box office, as we mentioned before, Ghost, followed by Home Alone. Other, And, and this was a year of the sequels, and, and I'm sorry, I have to run down this list, and there's more than this. This is just a few of them. Back to Future 3, Die Hard 2, Godfather 3, Rocky 5, Gremlins 2, Predator 2, Robocop 2, Young Guns 2, The Two Jakes, which is a sequel to Chinatown, Delta Force 2, and The Exorcist 3, and there are a few more. Why was there an
0: Exorcist 3? Oh my God. (laughs) That's
1: crazy. It probably went straight to video. (laughs) Oscar Best Picture winner, Dances with Wolves. Razzie Worst Picture winner, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. Fuck is I that? thought you were about
0: to say "Adventures in Babysitting." I was like, first off, I didn't think that was 1990." Second off, how dare you disrespect "Adventures in Babysitting"? Oh, well,
1: we may get around to that. That's a that's a childhood oh, replay man. value. I don't know if it qualifies all time. We oh we it's will somewhere oh, further list. Yeah. It's it's further down uh, the list. Um, TV of 1990, the number one Nielsen scripted TV shows number one was Cheers, followed by Roseanne, and number three, A Different World emmy best drama series winner la law won for the fourth time in five years jesus fucking dynasty in television uh and emmy best comedy series winner was cheers in its ninth season it won for the fourth time so uh double crown there for cheers being the number one show on television with ratings and then also winning the uh the emmy for comedy series Prices of the year: gas average a dollar and thirty-four cents a gallon. Rent average was four hundred and sixty-five dollars. A movie ticket was two dollars and sixty-nine cents on average. Holy shit! And with popcorn, it was like three bucks back then. Oh, good old days, man. Uh, not like we were going to the movies, it's kind of, a hard <laughs> right, yeah. time, but still. Uh, Events of 1990. Uh, The first case of AIDS is traced back to 1959. The ozone layer depletion is detected in the North Pole for the first time. Nelson Mandela is released. The Space Shuttle Discovery places the Hubble Telescope into orbit, which dramatically changes astronomy. So, uh, some some historic events there in 1990. And to wrap up, the first in-car GPS was sold.
0: (laughs) wow it was probably big as the engine jesus back in 1990 good lord all right our best scenes and lines from pretty woman there's a lot of surprisingly a lot of great scenes to choose from or maybe not surprisingly it was tough for me to narrow them down i, I thought when i was watching it's like oh yeah that's it that's it but then as i was going through it i was like oh man what do i yeah. cut what do i what do i knock down what, you know, what what's my winner well, let's start with your runner-up warren
1: Very tough to narrow down, as we've established most That's going to be the case in most of the movies we do. Uh, Runner-up best scene is when Edward and Vivian first meet.
0: Hey, Sugar, you looking for a date?
1: No, I want to find Beverly Hills. Can you give me
0: directions? Sure. For five bucks. Ridiculous. Price just went up to ten. You can't charge me for directions.
1: I can do anything I want to, baby. I ain't lost.
0: All right. Okay. All right. You win. I lose. Can change for 20? For 20, I'll show you personal.
1: They both just light up the screen when they're on it together and we see it for the first time. And I love the exchange they have. Uh, he says he's lost and she says $5 and then oh, it just became 10. Like it's a real cute exchange.
0: Yeah, I really I do like that. It did not have it. Uh, I didn't even have it as an honorable mention, but it's just it's one that I feel like I've overlooked because it is great establishing the chemistry between them. That It's
1: it's that it's so palpable when you see it in that moment it's
0: an awkwardness of course but man they make it work
1: and what was your runner-up
0: my runner-up is a similar first meeting between edward and vivian but it is the first time that edward sees vivian really sees her for the first time when they uh, are meeting in the lounge to go to dinner and she has just gotten her black cocktail dress on and she has her natural hair and he doesn't recognize her at the bar until she turns around. And it's just, man, it just gives you goosebumps to actually see him experiencing that moment and seeing how looking at her hits him and affects him. I had to have that as my runner-up.
1: He sees her in a different light, and it's one of the moments that he falls in love with her. And it also has, and we'll, I don't want to step on uh, best lines, but it also has a great fucking line in there that we'll get to later. Well, I don't know if he would say he's
0: falling in love with her yet. I mean, this is still pretty early on, but it just it's just one more example of how she continues to surprise him, and it just it, it furthers that trend. All right, so what, what was your winner?
1: My winner and... Uh you have to pick it. It's it's the icon, most iconic scene from the film. It's the one that's parodied the most. It's the fucking shopping montage.
0: Mm, okay. I,
1: yeah, I honestly, mean, he her I didn't. The card, he cuts her loose.
0: <laughs> I honestly didn't know where you were going with that because I have a different one here that I feel like is more iconic, but I, that speaks to the film is that there's so many iconic moments in it. So. But no, that yeah,
1: well, he gives her the card. You see her. She, I mean, the, it cuts to her wearing like what three or four different outfits. It shows her stop off at different stores. It's just really. It's back when films did montages, and it's a really well executed one.
0: Hey, I love a good montage. That's the only reason Rocky Four is any good. Is it's more montage oh, no. than movie. Uh, okay, all right, <laughs> no, all I, right. I do love that. It, it, it is a great montage, and uh, there's a. Um, it's just it's just joyous to watch because she's a joy to watch going through that and experiencing that and the the you know even when she's at the one store and the manager's trying to keep up with her and there's a pizza that comes in he just like he can't you know, he's, he's have, has a hard time following everything but my winner was one that was a little bit more sentimental uh, it's when it's when uh, Edward and Vivian go to the opera and it's that it's them actually at the opera. And you don't know how Vivian is going to take it. I mean, this is, he sets it up for that way. It's this, you know, he says the the great line, you either love it and you love it for life or you don't like it, but either way, it changes you in some way and she absorbs that information and you're watching her watch the opera and it kind of cuts to the opera and it'll cut away back to the box and you expect any moment that she's going to be asleep on the banister up there. That, that That's actually what I thought the first time I watched the movie. I'm like, oh, well, she, she's going to fall asleep because she's going to think the opera's boring, you know? But watching mm-hmm. her react to it emotionally and he's not even watching the show. He's going
1: to pull a Larry David like in a <laughs> uh, with Hamilton. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. But, you
0: know, watching her get emotional and he is not even watching the show. He's watching her experience the opera for the first time. Oh, it's great. And it's great. And And we've
1: Mm -hmm. done that with people, whether it's been a play, not necessarily an opera or a movie where we've seen it or we've been at something like that and we're watching someone watch it and we get to see how they experience it. So I, a very cool moment. I do love that. And it's very powerful. You see her talent in, the, in that scene as well.
0: And, and I would say that is where not only does she continue to surprise him, but that is where he first begins to fall uh, in love with her.
1: Well, he starts to see her. I think it's where, remember we said in your runner-up, where he sees her in a new light in the, for the first time, that he sees her in a deeper way uh, being more sophisticated in her intellect. She has the intellectual uh, uh, capacity to perceive that play and be emotionally affected by it. You know, it's it, I, he it probably, as you said, may have, it, he was concerned that maybe it may, might be too high brow for her. She may not get it.
0: Yeah. Uh, and then I did have a couple honorable mentions. Uh, one is the bathtub singing that I mentioned earlier in the episode where she's singing kiss by Prince. And he just walks in and observes her singing in her element. She thinks that he's already gone. Uh, and it's just it's just a real cute scene and, and just one again her chemistry she's just so bubbly and so such a joy to watch in, in this film. Uh, and then my last on and
1: that's also that's also where they negotiate right where he they, they have the cool little back and forth where they make the deal.
0: That is the yes, that is the back and forth where she for some reason I love that. St- stupidly settles on three thousand dollars for the whole week. what an idiot but yes that that is the part where that happens. All right, here we go. Give me a ballpark figure. How much? Six full nights, days to...
2: 4,000.
0: Six nights at 300
2: is 1,800. You want days, too? two? 2,000. 3,000. Done. Holy shit! <laughs> hey, it's
1: 1993. Grand then is like 10,000 now.
0: Uh, and then my last honorable mention—I'm sure you have this too—is the scene where he gives her the necklace, and then uh, and has the the moment where he you know, he snaps it closed <laughs> on her hand, and she you know she laughs. It's just it, that's the iconic one. I thought you were going to go
1: with. they also parodied that as well. That that, and with the shopping montage, are probably the two most parodied moments from the movie.
0: And it's reported, although it's not confirmed, that. That was an improv moment where he snaps the the case closed on her. So that no, reaction- it was improvised. Yeah. Oh, so well the re- the reaction then, of course, by Julia Roberts is uh, genuine with the laugh. Mm-hmm.
1: There was a lot of times when you saw the making of the movie. Uh, I heard Julia Roberts talk about it where Gary Marshall would be directing them. He's like, "Okay, you guys have fun. Be having fun. Have a Be having a good time." And action. <laughs> And it's not even scripted. They just have to, like in some of the social scenes where they're reacting to things the, you, when she's like rooting and, and th- a lot of that was improvised.
0: Yeah, it, Gary Marshall very much did take a, a part in that as far as telling them how to, do, I guess, their character should be on screen. Because initially, Gear was like moving around. He was doing a whole lot. And Marshall had to pull him to the side. And it's like, listen, it, there's in this film, there there's the two of you. The one of you moves and the other one doesn't. Guess which one you are. <laughs> and so he's like, "Okay, duly noted. Look, look, I got it."
1: <laughs> great direction. There, less is more. Uh, in, in some cases, uh, honorable mentions. I had a few, um, and this is a great moment. It's a. It, I, I knew. I, I, it, it speaks to me because it just. It's a very well written. It t- tells us about the character. Uh, is when it's early on uh, when they're first hanging out in the hotel room the first night and she's in the bathroom and she goes to hide something.
0: All right, I do not want any drugs here. I don't want any of this. Get your things and your money and please leave.
1: I don't do drugs, all right? I I stopped doing drugs when I was 14. What is this? This is dental floss. Yeah, so I had all those strawberry seeds. And you should neglect your gums. And she's kind of embarrassed by it. And I just think it's such a great little moment that tells you just how innocent that Vivian, uh, Ward really is.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. I, I like that.
1: Another honorable mention, uh, is when it's at some point in between the montage, when she's shopping, she step stops back into the, uh, one shop that was really rude and mean to her. And she gets revenge on the, 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 uh, the salesperson.
0: That's good. Yeah. Um, uh, that's, that, that's a very cathartic scene. I like, it. we all want to do that to the, you know, any guy that's mistreated us that way, yeah, it's good. Big
1: mistake, huge! When Vivian leaves and breaks up with Edward, mm-hmm. it's, uh has that great song playing. Uh, it's an iconic, uh, well, another, uh, well, not iconic as much as a very one known moment in the movie. Uh, we all know what's going to end up happening at the end, but they briefly break up. She's riding in the limo, and you can see they, it's very clear, even though neither one of his, them is speaking, that neither one of them want to break up. They both want to be with each other. Yeah, yeah that's that's true. And then, of course, the last honorable mention is when they reunite on the hotel balcony. Oh yeah, you know, the fairy tale moment, man! <laughs> how can I can't believe you didn't mention that?
0: It's it's cliche. I mean, it's kind, I mean, you know, it's it's, it's it is. It's still it is. really well done. Though. It is. Yeah, it's good. Uh, yeah, how he comes in, like in on the white, the white not on the white horse, but it's a white limo, and he's got his sword or the umbrella. Yeah, how they, how they cut it. She's in her tower. It's it's well done. I like it. That's a good. That's a good. They
1: modernized the fairy tale. Very sure. very clever. I like it. You're right.
0: You're right. It's it's worth. It's definitely worth a mention. Yeah. All right. Well, what about our best lines from the film? Um, surprisingly quotable. I did not think it would have many options to choose from going into it, but you, you watch the movie and you're like, man, that's that's a great line. That is great writing. Um, so I'll kick things off with my runner up, and it's actually one you just mentioned when she goes back. Uh, to the Beverly Hills, uh, the store on Rodeo Drive that initially kind of was snobby to her and kicked her out, where she says,
1: Hi, hello, do you remember me? No, I'm sorry. I was in here yesterday. You wouldn't wait on me? Oh,
2: you work on commission, right? Uh, Yes. Big mistake. Big. Huge. I have to go shopping now.
1: That's great.
0: Yeah, you you got to mention that one. So what was your runner up?
1: My runner-up is uh, after they work out the arrangement and he's leaving the hotel room. She says,
0: "Baby, I'm gonna treat you
1: so nice. You're never gonna want to let me go."
0: <laughs> well, she was right. She was right. Yeah. All right. So, what was your winner then?
1: My winner best line, and it comes from uh, your runner-up best scene. It's the exchange they have when she says,
0: "You're late." You're stunning. You're forgiven. <laughs> Uh, I see I was <laughs> I was thinking that that would be uh making an appearance for our best lines so I didn't want to didn't want to give too much away there while we were while we were talking about that scene but yeah so and that's such a great thing about this movie is that so many of the best lines are in the the, the best scenes uh, and that is one great example there.
1: That's a scene that I feel like is from a movie from the 40s like it has such a classic timeless movie quotability to it.
0: And I feel like there has to be an element that was purposefully done that way because she is such a fan of old movies. You know, you see her watching the uh, Audrey Hepburn films and and mm-hmm. he, like old TV shows and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I feel like that, that was by design. That's
1: Gary Marshall. That's Gary Marshall putting in the stuff that influenced him. That's, that's the director, uh, including that in, it, in, in uh, incorporating that into his movie.
0: And so my winner though, for best line is at the end of the film when, uh, Edward Lewis, uh, Richard Gere's character, is checking out of the hotel and he has the necklace and he gives it back to to, to the manager, Mr. Thompson. And you know, the, in, in such a fairy godmother type of way, uh, Hector Elizondo looks at it and he he said, do you mind? And opens it up and and, and
1: says, it must be difficult to let go of something so beautiful.
0: And he's talking about the necklace, but you really know what he's talking about. And, and
1: it's a subtext. He's subtext. talking about Vivian.
0: And just the, the I mean, he, 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 is such a great actor and the delivery is perfect. And I, I just, I just love, I just love that, that scene, that line and how he delivers it. That had to be my winner.
1: Worthy selection.
0: W- one funny thing is, so well, part of me, like wanted it to be uh, some other version of the film where he, he opens it up, but there's no necklace in there. Or it's one of her like crappy necklaces that she wears earlier on in the film. And she just makes off with this $250,000 necklace and her and Kit run off. I think that'd be a funny version of the movie. But I, 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 I think that uh, the, the way that it was done, of course, is, is much better. But this, uh, the opportunity was there. Uh, all right, let's get into our honorable mentions. What were yours?
1: Only, uh, it's, it's tough to narrow this down. Um, it's after they work out the deal. And uh, she says,
0: I would have stayed for 2000 I would have paid for." <laughs> good,
1: yeah. When uh, Larry Miller comes up to Richard Gere and he's kissing his ass, and Richard Gere's like, "No, no, no, not me, her."
0: Mm-hmm. He says he's, so, <laughs> he's so good as the manager, man. He, he it's great. I he's love so it. So
1: great, Mr. Lewis How's it going so far? Pretty well, I think. I think we need some major
0: sucking up. Very well, sir. You're not only handsome but a powerful man. I could see the second you walked in here, you were someone to reckon with, Hollister. Yes, sir.
2: Not me, her. I'm sorry,
1: sir. I'm sorry. You can see why he goes on to, to work as much as he does now. Um, when they're at a party and uh, Vivian says... He freeze ice on his wife's ass.
2: We'll try that later. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and after that great moment where she watches the opera and she says, I almost peed my pants. And that old lady's about like, what? And then without missing a beat...
2: She said she liked it better than Pirates of Penzance.
0: That's good. Yeah, that, I have that here as an honorable mention as well, just because it makes you laugh out loud. Because man, he's just so so quick on that response there. And she's like, "Oh, okay."
1: I have a last one. Fifty bucks, Grandpa. For seventy-five, the wife can watch.
0: <laughs> man she she's so Kit she's so good as Kit in the film Laura Sangio Giacomo. Ah, oh, man, that's good.
1: Great uh, comedic timing.
0: Yeah, uh, I'll actually take uh, take over with my honorable mentions. Uh, another one by Kit uh, near the end, where her and Vivian are talking by the pool and they're talking about the fairy tale ending. And Kit says,
2: God, the pressure of a name. Cinder fucking Rella.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Just, laughs> she's great. I mean, she just steals the scene. Um, uh, a couple more. Uh, Edwards compares the two of them and says,
1: you and I are such similar
2: creatures, Vivian. We both screw people for money,
0: uh, which is very true. Very true. Uh, and then, lastly, whenever they are discussing the arrangement, and she said, "Oh, well, you know, what's your name?" and he said, "Edward," and, and in a very, you know, obvious way that they both pick up on, she says,
1: "Edward, that's my favorite name in the whole world."
0: No. Tell you what, this is fate, Edward. That's what this is. He buys into. It. He's oh yeah, yeah. Is it? Oh wow, yeah. you know. And, and you just, they just—they know what the what the game is. But I just love that that uh, that chemistry uh, that they show there on the screen.
1: It kind of speaks to her character's inexperience with those moments, and she's just kind of figuring it out as she goes.
0: Moving on to Judge Bob's recasting court, where Warren and I recast the film with today's stars. All rise for the Honorable Judge Bob presiding,
2: gentlemen. You may be seated. Recasting Courts now in session. Counselors, let's get right into it. Barney Thompson. Let me hear an argument between Andy Garcia and Stanley Tucci. Man. Coin toss. Let's hear the argument starting off with Stanley Tucci.
0: I love Stanley Tucci. Uh, One of my favorite character actors. He's great in in pretty much everything that I've seen him in. But going into this casting, I had the mentality of... Of fairy godmother that was the intent of the character that is the way Hector Elizondo portrayed it and you can't find a better actor to portray fairy godmother but at the same time high-end hotel manager that would be taking care of the guest in the penthouse but has you know the heart of gold that helps people out that is Stanley Tucci he would crush this role he's perfect fit for it
2: Warren go ahead and hit us why Andy Garcia Andy Garcia...
1: You know, I I haven't used him and I just think he's a great weapon in my back pocket. I think he's perfect for this. He's great as an avuncular character that comes in. He helps out Vivian in a couple scenes and he's almost like this uh, shepherd of good for the movie and the audience. And I feel like Andy Garcia would embody that, particularly with the type of characters he plays. And I saw him recently so that may be contaminating (laughs) my recasting. (laughs) But but, uh, he is a great actor and I think he bounces between comedy and drama effortlessly and I think he could pop into this for the few scenes that barney's supposed to be in and 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 crush it
0: and there's no there's no there's no denying that andy garcia is great and would do great as a hotel manager but when you think if you're going to line these two actors up against one another this is stanley tucci again fairy godmother that's stanley tucci fits that aspect of the role much better than andy garcia does
1: well, I'm not going to argue against Tucci. I love Tucci, but uh, it's one of those things where, at the end of the day, Garcia is a more appropriate when you talk about a level of specificity for the character. I think
2: uh, Gar- Andy Garcia is. Let's go I ahead better and pause fit. the tape right here, fellas. Um, you just said that you're not going to make an argument against Stanley Tucci when you've came prepared with Andy Garcia. That alone states how good. The Stanley Tucci casting is—it's
0: perfect. I mean, he's Tucci. Yeah, this,
2: they're, they're both excellent. But when you came, when you came armed at the table with Andy Garcia, and you just said you're not going to make an argument against. Uh, I'm not going to argue against any actor because know, the,
1: almost every actor we mention is fucking amazing. Uh, there's no point. It's almost always going to be the case of both are good, who would be better, uh, or who might be a better fit, and that's that's quite subjective. That is
0: the case here, yeah. The, both are great, but Tucci's better.
2: Yeah, yeah, whatever. Phil, one on the argument there. can see the card. Had Andy Garcia going into this. Phil, Ooh, way to yeah. steal one. Way to steal Thank it. Kit DeLuca <laughs> is next on the docket. All right, so Aiza Gonzalez and Maud Apatow. Let's go ahead and hear uh, Jed Apatow's daughter first, Miss Maud.
1: Maud Apatow, she's really come up lately, and she showed the range of talent that she has, whether it's Euphoria or, most recently, the King of Staten Island. I think she would hook in perfect here for the comedic scenes of Kit, Kit DeLuca, much in the same way Giacomo did in the original. I, but I think, again, she would bring a new wrinkle to it, but I, th- I think she's got the ability to step up and, and, and play this character quite nicely.
2: Phil. Aiza Gonzalez.
0: Yeah, I, I've only seen her in one thing, is Baby Driver. And she is awesome in that film. And you know, you want a character that's going to step into this role. And think about what Kit DeLuca is in this. the few scenes that she has. Number one, she steals the show. She she is the center of attention whenever she's on camera. Aiza would, would have that for you. But you have to have that just kind of spitfire she's sassy she doesn't know it all i mean she's not afraid to get up in anybody's face she's very confident that's aiza that she would portray that on the screen
1: aiza you'd almost be she'd be in contention for vivian ward because it's a breakout character at that point julia robertson only played supporting sure. parts much sure. like aiza has and aiza's at a point where she's got this okay if you put her as kit DeLuca as an audience member you're going to be like, uh, okay, wait a minute. Wasn't she in more scenes? Where where did she go? I, I want to see that movie, uh, and that would be the problem casting her in that. Is, uh, she
0: uh, nah, she's not that that big of an actress yet. I mean, she is not still, yet.
1: Neither was Julia Roberts. This is a breakout type of character, and and again, I think you're taking someone who's a little further up the precipice of the acting uh, ladder uh, to 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 put her in that role. I, I think she's too interesting.
0: I would say she's not. She's very interesting. Yes, I mean. No no doubt, but she would definitely fit into the kit role because that's where she's
1: at right now. I just feel like where Ramada is in her career, she's playing those type of supporting characters. And no doubt, she's got the ability. One day, she'll probably be leading movies. Uh, but it, at this point, she's, a, I think, a better fit.
2: Strong argument. Strong argument. Aiza Gonzalez takes it. Phil. All right. Uh, is it Philip Stuckey. We're going to hear an argument for uh, Josh Gad. And Rob Corddry, let's go here. Go ahead and hear the argument for Josh Gad first. Uh,
1: Josh Gad, I haven't used him yet, and he's again another ace in my uh, in my back pocket. I'd I, I like to use. And Philip Stuckey's a type of character where there, I, I, you want to take someone who's known for comedy and put him in a role where they're an asshole. And I, I wanted to see that stretch. Uh, and I think Josh Gad. It's like where maybe Jason Alexander hasn't had that many opportunities since or before. Josh Gad hasn't really had that many opportunities to play that much of an asshole, and, and I, I would like to see him give it give it a shot with this character.
2: Phil, go ahead.
0: All right, but before before I, I talk about Josh Gad, I will I will start with Rob Cordry and how he is. I mean, he's great for this. Let's 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 be real here. I mean, he so the character Philip Stucky starts out as someone that is kind of sleazy that you you immediately are just like is an underling to Edward Lewis's character, you know, but someone who values his possessions a lot and is, is an asshole, but you almost laugh at him at first. And then he becomes the asshole Rob Corddry. He, he, oh, he would do so great with that.
1: Uh, I didn't say his talent. He couldn't do it. I'm just saying it's hard to see him playing it.
2: Okay. But, but Josh
0: Gad is freaking, Isn't he Olaf? <laughs> and Isn't he? That, 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 that's what I was going to kind of <laughs> go into, but, um,
1: I <laughs> know uh, he's he was in the he was in the Steve Jobs biopic. He's been in so many different types of movies. You can't really pigeonhole Gad like
2: that. I don't think that's fair. Basically, what I'm trying to say is I I, I really wanted to cut this one off before we got into counters. Rob Corddry is amazing. Oh my God! What a casting! God,
0: thank you. Uh, oh I'd actually God. give credit. I, I may be disqualifying myself, but I actually have to give credit to my wife on that. When, whenever I, we were, we, I, I sometimes will bat recasting ideas around with her and, we just listened to him on uh, uh, the armchair expert with Dak Shepard, and
1: she's like, we need to have a rule. That's a competition uh, violation.
0: The have violated the agreement.
1: It's like <laughs> Olympic drug testing. You can't, you can't be doing that, man. You can't be having outside input like that. Okay. Come on now. All well, right. Let's yeah, let's I let's get into that, the yeah. top
2: of the cost sheet here. Um, Edward Lewis. I'm going to hear an argument between Bradley Cooper and Ryan Gosling. Somebody tell me why Ryan Gosling should do this.
0: I'm going to tell you why Ryan Gosling should do this. Uh, it's because.
2: Such a bad casting. <laughs> That's so bad.
1: I'm sorry, <laughs> Phil. Jesus Christ. But,
0: okay. All right. Listen, it, here's the thing. There's a lot of actors that you could cast into this role, but as far as one, and we talked about this, Gary Marshall gave the direction to Richard Gere and Julia Roberts and saying, one of you moves and the other doesn't. And and Gosling has the the persona on screen to have the kind of the the quiet eyes that that gear has on screen as well the one that could sit and not move a lot that could let the scene everything work and move around him also one that you could respect as somebody that right. yes he is I don't usually running say a successful business all yeah. yeah we don't
2: even need it we just Go ahead and say why Bradley Cooper won this. <laughs> oh my
0: God! What are you talking about?
1: I think it's worth mentioning. I took into consideration Matthew McConaughey, who would have been great. Like five I, I years thought ago. about him too. No, yeah. No, no, no. George no. George George Clooney fifteen no. years ago would have been fucking perfect for this. Um, Keanu Reeves thought of him. John Hamm. There he on is. The there he is.
2: That's that's. That's who. Uh,
1: but I had to go with Bradley Cooper. I, I see Bradley Cooper playing, and maybe it's Jackson Maine from A Star is Born, but I can see him playing a businessman that's somewhat lost, trying to find himself and is open and vulnerable to a moment where uh, someone of his stature and appearance, I mean, because after all, not only is he rich, he's pretty fucking handsome, the character is, where he would pay for a prostitute. No, it's and just- There's just no fucking universe where Ryan Gosling is paying for a fucking prostitute. Oh, yeah. Here's the on,
0: thing. On, no, on, real quick, on. real quick. Bradley Cooper, he is too charismatic on screen. To, to as far as like he he he's too much the center of attention when he's on screen to be a good fit for and this role.
2: Gosling isn't. No, he um, is. Listen, I don't know how much you talk to your mother, but I guarantee you, she will have amazing things to say about the original Edward Lewis. You talk about a guy that absolutely captures the screen. I mean, come on!
0: But you even have the you, Richard Gear is
2: great. Richard Gear, I mean, made us all want to have great. Between him and James Bond, we all grew up looking forward to having great. Hair. Yeah, here's the thing. And that's but look,
0: just check. Check it out. There was that scene in the hotel where he's playing the piano. We know that Gosling can play the piano from La La Land. So I mean, there you go. I mean, he has uh, that strong. This
2: is this is uh, this is futile. <sighs> wrong. All right, guys. All right. So let's get into the very top of the sheet here. Um, I put a lot of emphasis on this role as far as who should have it kind of thing. And and you guys brought Jennifer Lawrence and Haley Steinfeld to the table. So,
0: well, here's the thing. Here's the thing, Bob, is that you could pick someone that is unknown, but that's no fun. We want to pick big names. We've got an infinite budget on this podcast. Recasting, yeah, yeah, so. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I would say, and if I may be fair as much as we have to, and this is a hard character to recast because it did launch somebody and we can't really pick someone that isn't launched. Cause we don't know who the fuck they are. I mean, I could pick some actresses I know, but you guys don't. Know. So in the sake of the efforts of the category, we have to pick people that are known. But that being said, Jennifer Lawrence is way too established. She's already won a fucking Oscar. How the fuck are you going to cast her as this? That, okay. Uh,
0: she, uh, you're, you're, you're paying too much attention to what they are outside of the film to whether how good they would be on screen.
1: No, it's just and where she is d- in her career. It, it doesn't matter. Order, the order in the
0: court. Order in twice. the court.
2: We all know where Phil started and where he ended. Stanley Tucci and Jennifer Lawrence. He was probably watching
0: the Hunger Games. <laughs> Hunger Games with
2: the fam. <laughs> Fucking idiot.
0: I did read the new book. It's pretty good.
2: That's fantastic. I still believe you guys messed up not putting Sophie Turner in here. Go ahead, Warren. Why Haley uh, Steinfeld?
1: Haley Steinfeld, man. What I'm, I, I president of her fan club. Uh, sheepishly, uh, I love her. Uh, she's one of my celebrity crushes. She is fantastic. She's such a great actress, and she hasn't. Is all Even though we know who she is, just like we knew who Julia Roberts was, she hasn't had that movie that's catapulted her into the next level, and she's in that place in her career where I feel like this type of vehicle would be ideal for her, and she would just absolutely rise to the occasion and, 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 and become a huge star as a result.
0: You cannot think of this character without thinking, man. Jennifer Lawrence would be a great fit for it, as far as playing we, both here's sides. The thing, if you
1: sign Jennifer Lawrence or Haley Steinfeld, you sign either one of these actresses. They're gonna fucking be great. We trust, we know they're gonna be able to do the job. So that's not even up. For it's debate. not that. It's we not that they would be great. Jennifer be
0: Lawrence would be perfect as far as playing both sides of it. As far as the, the you know the the one from Georgia or where wherever Vivian Ward is from to the side where you know as soon as she comes Dude, across Jennifer Lawrence
1: them. is in this movie you're gonna flip it you're gonna call it Pretty Man okay and you're gonna have her be the successful business person Phil
2: uh, slap at the base over there I mean unbelievable almost threw a no hitter here if you would have just not thrown Ryan Gosling in there but Jennifer Lawrence is the right casting absolutely Thank you. Thank the right you. casting. Next to Haley Steinfeld on this. So, I mean, a whooping. I am a golden god! Warren, you going to bring it next week? I'm looking forward oh, to it.
1: I, I'm coming off a 3 so uh, you both can kiss my ass. Actually,
0: going into this, Warren did call me, did call him taking an L on this one, so he knew my recastings were better.
2: Hey, recasting court is adjourned.
0: All right, fan theory time. And this is a good one. I was surprised that uh, to come across a fan theory for Pretty Woman, but of course there's a fan theory for Pretty Woman. Uh, The fan theory is that, and it came from Reddit, that Vivian Ward was on drugs throughout the movie. Uh, no. Okay. So here's the evidence for it. So he catches her in the bathroom, what he thinks is drugs, but it's dental floss. And she says that she quit drugs at 14. Who quits drugs when they're 14 years old? That's a lie. Come on. Nobody does most that.
1: people start when they're 14. <laughs>
0: right, exactly. Nobody quits when they're 14. Um, well, not
1: most people. I'm saying if anyone at that does anything at that age, sure. they're starting, not stopping, is yeah. my point. Yeah. All
0: right. Uh, second Which is... Which
1: is still too fucking young. Most people don't even get high till they're, what, 16, 17 at the earliest? I mean, I have college, if not college.
0: You're overanalyzing. it. So, secondly, um, is that she only charges him $3,000 for the entire week. Uh, knowing that, you know, he's he staying in the penthouse, the car that he was driving, she only charged that little because she was desperate for the money because she needed it for drugs.
1: I also think that speaks to her inexperience. Maybe so. She didn't know to capitalize. That's just kind of being green around the gills, dude. And so
0: you're, you're, you're. That's true. So you're probably like, ah, this doesn't have much water. Then I bring you to the third and final point: her fidgeting in the film
1: she fidgets all the time that's her nervousness i don't buy that no i'm shooting this completely down all three of those just uh, doesn't hold water
0: well no i'm going to tell you something the fidgeting though is a telltale sign of you know someone that uh you know that someone is on drugs and to further to the point that she possibly could have been because it wasn't an earlier version of the script that her character was indeed supposed to be on drugs so i feel like um Feel like it's maybe not on camera, but it is plausible.
1: Uh, it could be a case where if she did get clean off drugs, she had the shakes from being sober now too. So uh, again, I, I think it's too it's too uh, uh, gray to to make a solidification or to come to a conclusion. Ah, but of. by
0: saying that it's gray, you introduce uh, the chance of plausibility and uh, verifiability.
1: Not so- enough to sway me. Uh, in- in- innocent until proven guilty. She she's sober. Okay. And we'll close out the episode discussing the legacy of Pretty Woman, one of the most iconic romantic comedies of all time. Uh, You know, this film led to the resurgence of romantic comedies. I mean, right there with When Harry Met Sally. You know, right after this, we had Sleepless in Seattle in 93, you know, Clueless in 95, Before Sunrise in 95, and dozens and dozens of others that followed. And also that copied or followed that formula that Pretty Woman had and and kind of set the stage for the romantic comedy formula.
0: Yeah, and that formula was something that, I mean, yes, did you have rom-com movies prior to this? Of course, but if you had to pick one decade that is known for the rom-com, it's the 90s. And it started with Pretty Woman and what it did. I mean, it completely, it didn't break the mold, like I said earlier, it created the mold. And this was, you know, we've talked about these examples, die hard. You know, you take that formula, it's, you know, die hard on a bus, die hard on a plane, blah, blah, blah.
1: The Groundhog Day formula. The
0: Groundhog Day formula. Yes, this, there was the pretty woman, not necessarily the formula, but the idea of a will they, won't they, that two people come together, they grow apart, they're back together. That type of, that that tried and true rom-com formula that is, you know,
1: it, 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 you boy don't re- meets girl boy loses girl boy gets girl back yeah yeah.
0: exactly yes um that is uh if you had to trace it back to to the decade it's most known for and what kicked that off it's pretty woman
1: well and, i mean it shares through lines with, of cinderella there's no question about that you know much like how uh, lion king shares through lines with hamlet it's the same thing here
0: well, th- there's a reason that fairy tales are so popular, but it's you know telling a fairy tale for a modern age with a twist, and that's y- y- it is a fairy tale, but you don't recognize it as the as having that fantasy element. You buy into it, you believe it, uh, even though it, at its core, it, yeah, it's Cinderella. You know, it's the mm-hmm. Re- Prince Charming rescuing Rapunzel. Yes. Ah, uh, those elements that we've talked about,
1: and can't forget George Bernard Shaw's *Pygmalion*, uh, which also shares some similarities with this movie.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's you know, I'm sure for uh, an educated type, probably recognize that early on when they watch the film, and yes, that 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 there are the the rooted elements of the film come from that, uh, but it makes it its own, and you take that fairy tale concept and you deliver it in a way. Where you have the great chemistry with the actors, good mm. good writing, but the the performances by the actors on screen is what elevated this to the iconic cult status that it's at now.
1: I think it was the contribution of the writing the directing the performances uh, it all came together this great synergy to make a, an all-time great film uh, themes of the movie self-worth unconditional love business prostitution romanticized more or less sanitized we kind of talked about that and, and the movie was darker before but it, 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 to be truthful to the scenario it could have been darker but they, that's not what the movie is so uh not broke, don't fix it, leave it as it is, but uh, that was uh, some of the criticism. Uh, and Ambiguous morality, uh, social double standard, judging a book by its cover, uh, and, and of course, reinvention and rescue, which is one of the Cinderella themes.
0: Yeah, and I would say that d- despite those themes that are in it, some of them have aged better than others. I would say as time goes on and society changes, you know, a lot has happened since the late 80s, early 90s, when this was made to, to today, so, again, we only want to focus on the positives and what we love about the movie, but there are definitely some things that haven't aged as well as others. Um, but the, it's more the appreciation for the performances and, and for the fairy tale aspect of it. And, and
1: what this movie means to pop culture and cinema uh, and other movies. All time list it was voted number four on the must see movie of all time by Capital FM London. Was also included on a thousand and one movies you must see before you die, and among AFI's two thousand list of five hundred movies nominated for the top hundred funniest movies of all time. Mm, wow! When you talk about the franchise, no film sequels, not even a direct-to-video. I mean, we got nothing. You know, like you know how they did the Home Alone movies there after part two. It's like I thought there might be a Pretty Woman two or three, even like they did Mean Girls. Nothing.
0: Well, you said R- Runaway Bride was the unofficial sequel.
1: Yeah, 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 I guess that's right.
0: Do romantic comedies? I mean, do they really need a sequel? I mean, you know that that's a thing. Most, no, but of there's a,
1: just been no reboots or reinvention of the franchise. in nowadays, see. film climate, I just I'm surprised. Probably because it's just really hard to do that. I mean, Julia Roberts did such a great job. Who the hell are you going to recast? Yeah.
0: Well, to to be fair, there is uh, there was a Pretty Woman the musical that opened on Broadway a couple years ago, and while not being a sequel. Uh, I mean, it, it did kind of carry on the torch in some capacity now, uh, kind of how I talked about earlier that some aspects of the film and its themes didn't age so well, they didn't really do anything to, you know, catch it up to, to current, uh, society. Uh, so it was pretty poorly received by critics. I did get some Broadway.com audience award nominations and wins, but it was mostly for the performances by the actors.
1: Yeah, the book was written by uh, Marshall and Lawton, so the original yeah. creative team from the film uh, wrote the book for the play.
0: Yeah, that's right. That, 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 that is true.
1: And one thing I have to mention is if you go to the uh, Beverly Wilshire Hotel uh, in Beverly Hills uh, here in Los Angeles, uh, you can purchase the Pretty Woman Hotel Package.
0: Whoa, really?
1: You go there and then you have a day at the hotel and then you go shopping and you get like the spa treatment, all the bells and whistles.
0: Can I use Edward Lewis's credit card to pay for this? (laughs) Well, let's hope that uh, someone's credit card is paying for it. It's not mine because those packages uh, are $300,000 to experience that.
1: What? what, what? Uh-huh. One fucking day? That's gotta be no way. That's gotta be like, well, a it
0: includes, uh, the jewelry session, the private styling, the pampering a $50,000 shopping experience. I mean, so the restaurants at like,
1: Holy shit.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that they've ch- uh, changed it somewhat. There's, you know, I think it, uh, one time it was like, a, there's some of that are a hundred, a hundred thousand dollars,
1: but it, um, it's yeah. It, wow, it's, that's a lot more. I was thinking four or five K, maybe. I'm really surprised at how high that he, is. Well,
0: I did find another source that said there are three tiers. There's fifteen thousand, twenty two thousand, and one hundred thousand.
1: Uh, that's still really fucking high. Yeah.
0: So, um, however, that was back in 2015. So it may have they may have changed it, and they even have a more lig- it's
1: probably went up a more luxurious version now. Spoof some parody of the film. Four hundred and ninety two connections with other media and pop culture. It's referenced in SNL, In Living Color, Sleeping with the Enemy, Julia Roberts movie, yep. Fresh Prince, Seinfeld, N- Notting Hill, another Julia Roberts movie, um, Family Guy, Shrek 2, Princess Diaries. I always think it's funny when you see actors have multiple movies where they reference to other movies. We saw that with Chris Tucker and Smokey and Friday, uh, where that character is referenced in, like, Money Talks. and Fresh Oh, Hour. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think it's kind of interesting how that happens. Um the, the movie's been spoofed and parodied, and most famously, Dumb and Dumber. It's a big one.
2: International Preservation Society tomorrow night. Well, come on, Cinderella. We got to get you ready for the ball.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Muppets from Space. <laughs> Jay and Silent Bob strike back. We got to do that movie soon. Uh, mo- and secondly, probably most famously, it's parried it in, is uh, The Sweetest Thing.
0: Oh, yeah. They do that, um, that, that, that very famous.
1: Shopping it. montage. Yeah. Do they even have the uh, the box closing. Sure, yeah. And 30 Rocks. So, uh, and there's just too many to name. I just named a few. But uh, its influence is uh, far and wide. And Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times summed it up best when he said, quote, It is astonishing that Pretty Woman is such an innocent movie that it's the sweetest and most open-hearted love fable since The Princess Bride. Here is a movie that can march us down the mean streets of iniquity and it glows with romance, unquote.
0: That is going to do it for this episode of Replay Value. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you love what you hear, take the time to rate, review, and share with a friend. You can follow us on Twitter at Replay Value Pod. We are available on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every other Tuesday, and we'll see you then.
2: Bye! been a Waldo Pickles production.